Hi, this is Craig Perry. Welcome to episode five of Vision of Zion. Today is July 31st, last day of uh, July in 2022. Uh, my last recording I finished a few days ago. As soon as I was done with that uh, podcast recording, I was again prayerfully considering what I should talk about next. I had a very clear impression the next morning of what I should talk about, but it has been difficult to prepare for. Uh, I found I met some opposition. I think this is a very important topic and it's taken me a few days to prepare and to get ready to do this. But I know this is the topic that I'm supposed to cover. So first of all, before I get started, I'd like to talk about some study habits that I use when I study the Bible. And I hope that this will be of value to somebody out there. In our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we use the King James Version of the Bible as our official uh, version. And there was actually a, a book written by J. Reuben Clark, who was a counselor in the first presidency of our church, the highest uh, presidency in the church. And he wrote a book called Why the King James Bible. And I can't claim to have read it all, and I've seen uh, clips uh, quoted from it. It's a very important translation, and I think for doctrinal accuracy, it's probably among the best of the English versions. I know that our our uh, original or founding prophet, Joseph Smith, uh, said that he liked the German Bible the best. He felt that was the most accurate, but I don't know what version that was. I just know that he said he liked the German. Let me tell you some other things that I like to use <clears throat> and how I use them as Bible tools before we launch into today's discussion. Uh, I find the New International Version, the NIV, is a great translation. It is in plain English. It doesn't use the these and thous and some of the more archaic language, which I do like, by the way. I've been raised on that for many, many years. But the New International Version or the NIV <clears throat> is a is I like to go to when I'm reading, let's say, the stories or the flow of the stories. For example, the stories of Jesus. First of all, my copy, when Jesus speaks, it's in red letters, which I like that jumping off the page. And I also like the, just the flow is easier to follow when you're looking at stories and, and what happens. So it also has some great footnotes and maps. <clears throat> so I really like the NIV. I don't really rely on it for doctrinal purposes. I still defer to the King James Version. But another couple tools that I use that I want to share with you are, are really good too. There's an online version of the Bible called blueletterbible.org. And this is a fantastic tool. I use it all the time. There's a phone app you can put, obviously on your phone or your iPad or any of those devices, or just go with, with a browser. And you can go to a verse and then you can switch translations while you're looking at a verse or a chapter in the Bible, which is super, super helpful. And I find that the most, second most, besides the King James Version, the version I like 
to use next when I'm trying to get into the meaning of the words is Young's literal translation. And there's a lot of interesting wording. It basically tries to translate exactly how the words appear, either in the Hebrew or the Greek, Greek for the New Testament, Hebrew for the Old Testament. And I find that looking up the literal translations is great. More important than that is the Strong's Concordance, which is tied to the blueletterbible.org. Now I have a big thick book. It's like a, I don't know, 10 pound book. It seems like maybe a little bit less master, big, massive book about strong concordance. This is a, a person who I think in the 1800s went through every word of the Bible and indexed it. And so you can look at a word, look at a number and then go to a dictionary to see what the word means or the root of the word means. And this is extremely helpful. Well, it's tied into Blue Letter Bible. So when you click on a verse, you can then click on a word in the verse. And if it's in the Old Testament, it will take you to the meaning of the word in the Hebrew dictionary. And it will take you on a interesting tour of words related to it or primitive roots of that word. There's also the Greek for the New Testament, which will take, it's another dictionary. So if you want to get into the word meaning, which is very, very important, I find. Like I mentioned last week, the word Moloch for angel in the Hebrew uh, Old Testament, it means messenger or angel. So when you see the word, you don't really know which one it is. You have the person who's translating it, for example, the King James folks who were on the the group that translated it into the King James version that we have now, they had to choose when they were going to use the word the angel or we use the word messenger. Well, guess what? If you look up the word, you get to make the decision when you want to use or when you think the proper word applies and if they've applied it or misapplied it in your own mind. So blueletterbible.org is extremely helpful and Young's and, and uh, Strong's Concordance is super, super great and I use it all of the time. So many, many times I've gone to words to understand that. The Schofield Bible, I think it's King James Version, but it has great footnotes by, I believe it was a pastor or a minister. And the Schofield Bible is great for, again, some great insights into various verses. So these are some tools that I use on a regular basis. I don't use Schofield as much as the other tools, but they're good. And the important thing about the scriptures is, and different versions is you want to immerse yourself into, have an immersive experience into what these verses are telling us. Uh, another thing I want to mention is there's this program out now, which has been very popular, hugely popular, called The Chosen. And if you haven't seen it, I bet most of you have seen an episode or more. It's it's uh, basically covering the life of Jesus. But it's more of a... takes a lot of literary license, let's say, with the scriptures. I would call it historical fact or Bible facts uh, from the four Gospels mingled with a lot of historical fiction. But the nice thing about what it does is it really does a great job of placing you into the story of what it could have been like and makes the story of Jesus much more real 
for people, even though the dialogue, a great deal of it is just made up and the situations are historical or scriptural, but I still find it to be a very helpful tool because it is an immersive tool that gets you thinking about what would it be like if you'd been a disciple or a follower of Christ. So I, I love that tool as well. Any of these things that get you excited or interested about the life of Jesus Christ, his ministry, his mission, his multi-purpose mission for coming to the earth, etc. These are great tools. Today, we're going to talk about the term. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about a term, which is being born again. So this, this, this could apply to or be of interest to those of you who don't believe in God, who are atheists, who have just are convinced there is no such thing as God, <clears throat> maybe agnostics who aren't sure whether there is or there isn't. And then for those of you who want to decide if you have the kind of relationship you're looking for with God. And I'm going to start with John chapter 3. I'm going to be reading from the NIV. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus Christ told this leader of the Jewish group of the, called the, uh, the Pharisees that born, being born again is the only way he could understand the spiritual teachings that he was conveying to the Jewish people in those communities. And born again is a term that gets used a lot. I think the term is maybe somewhat misunderstood or people would like to know what it is, especially if you've never felt that spiritual feeling that he's talking about. I want to go through a couple of examples in the Bible of people who were clearly born again, where there was a, a change that occurred. And again, this is obviously not being born in the physical sense. This is a, a, a born born of the spirit. Let's go to Acts chapter two, 50 days after the savior was crucified and resurrected. It says, this is again from the NIV version of the Bible. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in their in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So the gift of tongues was there. Uh, utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, etc. How could we? How can we understand this? Is what they said. And so uh, Peter then addresses the crowd and talks about Joel chapter two, where it says, "I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, etc." And then it says, "I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they will hear and they will prophesy." So. We're going to go back to this chapter in a minute, but later it says they were they were pricked in their hearts. That's in verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and his other apostles and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? We'll come back to what they did in a minute. Uh, maybe the most poignant story of conversion in the New Testament is Paul. I mean, Paul, as we know, was an active persecutor of Christians, or Jews converting to Christianity. Let's go to Acts chapter 9 and see what happens to Paul to watch this change. This is what we call a you know dramatic change. And remember, this is a man who was, like Nicodemus, a very spiritual person um, and very zealous for the Jewish faith. Listen to what it says here. Meanwhile, Paul, or excuse me, Saul, that was his name before his name was changed. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So he goes into the city and he is, uh, three days he was blind, he couldn't eat, couldn't drink. Ananias was told in a vision to go and restore his sight. Ananias obeys the voice of the Lord. And the Lord says to Ananias, uh, I mean, he knows who he is, but the Lord says, Go, this man is my chosen servant to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So he goes, he gives him a blessing. And listen to what it says, verse 18. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. 
And then he goes and spends several days with the disciples in Damascus. And listen to what he does in verse 20. At once, meaning without hesitation, he, be he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. 180 degree switch over. What is it that causes, you know, these, these kinds of changes? Well, it's that Holy Spirit that Jesus talked about. It's that Holy Ghost or conversion. It's a, it is a conversion. And it's powerful. What is this Holy Spirit? I'm, I'm going to give a couple examples in my own life. I could give probably many examples, but there are two or three that really stand out. But first, I want to go a little more into the doctrine of, of born again and a couple more examples. These are from, this one's from the uh, Book of Mosiah in the Book of Mormon when King Benjamin gave a, a talk to a mass number of people that was given him by an angel to say. And after he was done, the people were so struck with the words, he said, do you believe me? And this is what they said. And they all cried with one, this is Mosiah 5 verse two. And they all cried with one voice saying, yea, we believe all the words which thou hast spoken unto us. And also we know of their surety and truth because of the spirit of the Lord, Lord omnipotent which has wrought a mighty change in us or in our hearts that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. So they went from a carnal state of wanting to do evil. All they want to do is good. That's the converting power of the Holy Spirit. That's that born again moment that we see with Paul and we saw the day of Pentecost as well. Um, now, later on, there was a man and some sons of a man, the sons of the king, who were persecutors, just like Paul, or I guess we'll say Saul. And they had a very similar experience where an angel appeared to them, but one of them, Alma, Alma the Younger, because his father was Alma, so Alma Jr., was, uh, he was passed out, kind of like Saul was. Let's go to Mosiah 27, 23 and see what he says when he comes out of his uh, being knocked out. He was so shocked and such a shock to his system. He says, and it came to, as the scriptures say, and it came to pass after they had fasted and prayed for the space of two days and two nights, the limbs of Alma received their strength and he stood up and began to speak unto them, bidding them to be of good comfort. For said he, I have repented of my sins and have been redeemed of the Lord. Behold, I am born of the Spirit. And the Lord said unto me, Marvel not that all mankind, yea, men and women, all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, must be born again, yea, born of God, changed from their carnal and fallen state to a state of righteousness, being redeemed of God, becoming his sons and daughters. And thus they become new creatures, and unless they do this, they can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God really echoing the same words and the same sentiment of 
Jesus when he talked to Nicodemus about you've got to be born again. You've got to have a change of heart. Now, I'm going to give some examples of how I have seen the Holy Spirit work. Jesus talked about as being a mighty or rushing wind. Um, I just want to talk about things that I have witnessed. I'm going to talk about two, maybe two instances. When I was preparing to become a proselyting missionary, I was actually out uh, teaching a young man who was from my high school. And I was invited to be a co-teacher, I guess, with one of the, we call them now ward missionaries or missionaries that are part of a congregation. Certain people are called and set apart to proselyte and fellowship those who are interested in the word of God and in potential membership in our church. And I was invited as an 18 year old, or maybe I was 19 to teach this young man who I knew from school. Um, he was in a, he actually was in a rock band. He used to play at dances. And so I knew him pretty well. And I had a friend who played with him anyway. I'm not sure if I, we, we, what we do is we teach a series of lessons. We kind of build on principles. We talk about the commandments, talk about faith, talk about the savior, Jesus Christ and his mission, etc. And we got to the end of this series of lessons and this young man was not seemingly interested in any kind of, uh, he had not had a change of heart, not at all. And we were, we were at the last lesson and there was nowhere to go after that. If, you know, he wasn't interested in pursuing anything, then that would be it. Well, before that lesson was taught, I remember deciding I needed to fast. And I found out later that the teach the man I was teaching with, uh, he also fasted. So we both fasted, not knowing we were had both fasted and, and we'd been prayerful. We went into the living room and I remember we were sitting with this young man and he was probably, again, this is after high school. So he was probably 18 or 19 as well. And I'm, I think it was me, but I just kind of said, well, we've taught you everything we know. We don't, I don't know what else we can do, but you've been reading, you've been praying to know what to do. And the room grew quiet and all of a sudden, there was a spirit that entered the room and it was powerful. And I remember watching him sitting in this wing back chair in this uh, living room of this, of this, of this member of the church. I remember he bowed his head. It was, must've been a full minute or two. And I knew he was feeling this spirit kind of a miniature, maybe day of Pentecost where there was one person and the Holy spirit entered the room and he, he couldn't uh, control his emotions and he started to weep. He was trying not to. And after a minute or two could have been, maybe it was even more, it was a while he looked up and I just remember the words he said, well, I guess there's nothing else to do, but to, well, he just said, I guess there's nothing else to do. In that instant, he knew what the Holy Spirit was. He had a mighty change of heart. And a few days later, he was baptized and in, in to commit to the things that he had felt. It was an amazing experience. 
I had it happen once when I was a full-time proselyting missionary in Italy. I was in the city of Latina, and I remember teaching this family. I, I still remember their name, but it was just a it was a mother and it was a son and a and a grandmother. So three generations. The dad wasn't there, and a similar thing happened. Unfortunately, when we did get the father together with them later. He didn't feel it and it, something felt wrong and it, it didn't it didn't happen with the whole family so it didn't move forward but i still can witness that i saw and felt another family have something come over them with the holy spirit it was truly amazing um, i'd like to share my own experience <clears throat> when i was eight years old as i may have mentioned before in our church we are baptized when we are accountable or old enough to understand right from wrong. And we peg that age. We believe the Lord is revealed that that age is eight years old. I went and was baptized at eight years old. It was right after my mother had passed away. It was my mother passed away in May and I was being baptized in August. And the neighbor, I remember we were, we were baptized by immersion. So we were. I was baptized. I was coming out of the building, and my our close friends who were there for the baptism. I remember she asked me, uh, the mother of my friends next door. She said, "You know, don't you feel different now?" And I remember I told her, "Yeah, I feel different." But and then I was, "Oh my gosh, I've already lied. I just was baptized, and I was cleansed from all my sins." This is what I was thinking at the time. And I've already told a lie before I even set foot off of the church property. You know, I, I didn't want to disappoint her. And the truth is, I didn't feel any different than I felt before I was baptized. That's just the truth. Okay. So when did I feel different? Well, I didn't have the date until this week, believe it or not, because my parents did some research on this. So where I grew up, we built a new state, a new building a new beautiful church and we were involved with sweeping floors cleaning it back in the day church members would help build the structure stacking brick put in the floor just all kinds of stuff we were busy 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 helping with the building of that church and it's probably the same now but back then you didn't move into a church building until it was paid for so the church donated money we donated labor and money we held church fundraising events like we used to um, bail paper, newspaper for recycling we would hold church bazaars where we would sell stuff anyway big effort to build this beautiful new building and the date of that this is what's new i just found this out the date of that was on uh, june 25th of 1972. so that is the day when my experience happened so as kids we did the sweeping and the cleaning on weekends my father was at the time a bishop which means he was the head of a congregation of 300 people or so so he was more involved with the planning of the building and execution and getting labor there and raising money through our budget than maybe other people would otherwise be involved in but we spent time as the point working on this building. So when the day came when it was all finished, 
I remember sitting, I remember exactly where I was sitting, on the left side of the chapel. We stood up to sing a closing hymn. I was almost 12 years old at the time. And we were singing the closing hymn. And that feeling that is described in the day of Pentecost, I didn't even hear a rushing wind, but something happened. And whatever I was supposed to feel at eight years old, I felt at 12 years, almost 12 years old, there came into my soul a spiritual witness of the Holy Spirit and of the Savior and of the whole work. And yes, when you feel that, there is no disposition to do evil. There's none. It's wiped out. So my first remembrance of feeling a spiritual energy and it was I knew it was not something I was creating and I knew it wasn't something that was being said or it was literally came into me like a burning fire I don't know how to explain it but it consumed me and it was the first time that I remember and there were other instances throughout my life where where that type of thing happened that was the first one so it's the most memorable wow this is really this is real so the question is and, and so now i want to go to another topic which is that i have met people from many different walks of life i've listened to people's testimony or testify about having that same type of experience some of some of the more dramatic uh, stories are from people who do what's called the sinner's prayer where they are depressed they are lonely they are suicidal they are at the end of their rope i think that's really satan working on them in a big way and then they have a breakthrough because they get to a point where they they can't carry the burden of their own lives and their own problems and they are either come across somebody they go to a tent revival they go to a church meeting they go to take lessons whatever and they finally get on their knees and they pray to the Lord for help and they get that born-again experience where they are the Lord bestows upon them forgiveness bestows upon them the Holy Spirit for a time and changes their nature okay and I've seen this I'm convinced that this is not for for those who are a member of my church this is this is a universal event that can occur regardless of what church you are belonging to what church you're considering joining this is can be this is as universal of an experience as you can find accepting Jesus Christ I've just seen too many stories and seen too many uh, times where this has happened universally and people change they become ministers they like Paul they want they can't stop preaching they feel a new calling it's amazing and miraculous you know how this change occurs and it is it is essential that we go from this other state to a a state of um, spirituality okay 
can you lose that feeling or what do you do once you get that feeling once you get that conversion this is a part i think that's tricky that we need to emphasize is what are you supposed to do well in the in what we see and let's go let's go back to the bible let's go back to acts chapter 2 when peter gets done after the spirit is entered peter preaches and it says here Verse Acts two thirty seven, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent, and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. So Jesus in, in John 3 says that we need to be baptized of the water, which is baptism and the spirit. Peter points them to baptism as well. And when we read about Paul, it says, I'll go read it again, uh, Acts 9, chapter, chapter 9, verse 18. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized after taking some food he regained his strength all right so notice how it says we're supposed to receive the whole the holy ghost um, what we do in our church is when a person has been converted and has felt the let's say uh, born again then they receive baptism where they're baptized or immersed in the water by someone in, with authority and then they also, we, we lay our hands upon their head, again, priesthood holders, and confer the, the Holy Ghost as a gift to guide. Now, the Holy Ghost and baptism, why does the Lord, after this conversion process, why does he want us to be baptized or make a commitment? I'm not sure if I can put it into words adequately. I'm going to try, but once we're... Once the Lord has bought us with his blood through his atonement and his, his atonement, then we belong to him. And if we want to keep that spirit, we have to walk the walk. We have to obey the commandments, which help us avoid falling into the same despair and trouble that we had before. And in order to remain clean, we need to, number one, we need to follow the commandments, which we won't do perfectly because none of us are perfect. We have to repent regularly. And in our church, we renew our covenants from baptism, which is to follow the Lord by partaking of the sacrament, the same sacrament that we see the Savior doing with the apostles before he was crucified, the Last Supper, where he broke bread and they drank wine as symbols of his the flesh and his blood and in remembrance of what he did. And this commitment is very important because we need to continue to repent. Otherwise, we can lose that spiritual conversion and it may not stay with us. So we have to, we have to commit. And baptism is the door the Savior didn't need baptism for himself, right? He did that to be an example to us of what we needed to do. So 
it's important that we get baptized by someone with authority, and then we also can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the same that Peter explained in Acts chapter 2. Now, the other thing I found, have found with uh, committing to the Lord, and this is, may sound counterintuitive, but it really isn't, because the goal is to become, as Paul talks about, we want to become joint heirs with Christ in the heavenly realms. And because we belong to Christ, it doesn't mean the road is easy. In fact, some ways the road gets harder. There's joy in the, in the journey now, knowing that you're on the path. But we're going we're gonna to experience trials. And in fact, those who commit to the Savior sometimes go through things that are more terrible than if they had never joined with the Savior. We see persecution of the Christians in the Bible. It's very clear what happens. And we know historically what happened to Christians who were converted to Christ. They went through a lot. And we can't expect to have an easy road. In fact, what really seems like happens is when we turn our lives over to Christ, we go through this perfecting and uh, cleansing process where we try and achieve sanctification. And that comes through trials. So the trials don't abate. They actually can, uh, can, they can in increase. And the Lord chastens who he loves. You know, if we're not on the right path, he's going to, he's going to say, hey, you know, you want to become like me. You want to become more Christ-like, charitable, and full of faith. Well, you've got to go through experiences. It doesn't come on a, on a silver platter. It comes through effort, and it comes through... It comes through challenges. So we're going to get an abundance of those so that we can become a joint heir with Christ and be worthy to be with him and to administer to others so that they may also find Christ in this life. So this is a process we have to go through. Now, this young man I told you about earlier, Alma, Alma Jr., he became converted to the Lord and like Paul went out and preached. So did the, the four sons of Mosiah, which is the king again. So they're out preaching. But in one of the cities where he preached later, this is what he says to church members who did go through the conversion process. Alma 5 verse 14. And now behold, I ask you, my brethren of the church, have ye been spiritually born of God? Have ye received his image in your countenances? Have you experienced this mighty change in your hearts? And the answer was, of course, yes, many of them had. I'm going to skip now to verse 26. And now behold, I say unto you, my brethren, if ye have experienced a change of heart, and if ye have felt to sing the song of redeeming love, I would ask, can you feel so now? So, and he goes on to say, verse 27, have ye walked, keeping yourselves blameless before God? Could ye say... If you were called to die at this time within yourselves, that ye have been sufficiently humble, that your garments have been cleansed and made white through the blood of Christ, who will come to redeem his people from their sins. Notice it didn't say in their sins, it's from their sins. So he goes on and gives a list and says, you got to keep this feeling. So that's why the Lord said, you've got to be born of the spirit, born of the water, and then you get placed on the road. Um, we have repentance to guide us through. In closing, I want you to know that I'm not saying that the path in following Jesus Christ is an easy path, but it is a much 
easier path than choosing the path that leads to destruction and death in the next life, uh, spiritual death. I want to close with one story from the book of Acts, because folks, remember, this whole podcast is about building Zion, and we can, we, we are going to build Zion. We're going to defeat the kingdom of the devil on the earth, which is growing in power every day right now. But God has a plan. I'm going to lay out the plan from the scriptures as we go. But I want everyone to know that it's not an easy path, but it is a joyful path. It is one full of spirit and full of hope for the eternities. I want to read you from Acts chapter 5. When the apostles are thrown in prison, Gamaliel, a Pharisee, steps forward and says, look, if it's of God, it's going to grow. If it's not of God, it's going to die out. So let these people go. And so let's go to verse 40. It says, and to him, they this is from the King James Version, and to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council, this is the Jewish council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. That's what we get to do in the last days. We get to rejoice that we will be persecuted and that we are counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now, is that going to happen today? No, not today. It's not, there's still a climate of acceptance and religious tolerance today. But if the scriptures are true, if Revelation 13 is true, then at some point we get to where we can't even buy or sell unless we have rejected the Savior. And we see this happening in other countries, even today, but not on our home turf yet. But this is where we're headed. And I want to bear witness that this path is worth it. We've got to prepare ourselves to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. Everything Jesus Christ went through, all of his suffering, was not because of any evil act that he ever did. It's because he was willing to sacrifice his life and his time and his whole godliness was put on the line. And he suffered himself to do these things so that he could reach down and bring us up to where he is. Thank you for listening.